Peace be to you. Henry the Cobbling of Evil. Let us begin with a question. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Curiously Catholic and Evangelion Production. In this podcast, we're going to be picking the brains of Catholic enthusiasts to try and get to the bottom of how to live truly as a Catholic in contemporary times. My name is Dominic Malgeri, and in this episode, we have Matthew Taig. How's it going, Matthew? I'm doing well, Dominic. How are you? Uh, pretty good. It's been a stressful <laughs> evening. We had a different speaker advertised. Um unfortunately father father trim with was called away to priestly duties last minute so uh, we'll be praying for him but he won't be joining us so we had a whole thing planned out and it's all gone to mess as usual um but we are blessed with having you present here um a few uh quite a few people watching potentially would uh, already know you from the in his name conference uh which you actually were you know pretty big in um in in helping happen so uh but for those of you that don't know uh, who matthew is uh matthew can you tell us a bit about yourself well certainly um matthew tag is is my name and um i was born in 1974 uh into a bit of a culturally catholic home i was baptized at six months um Spent the uh, the first thirteen years or so as uh, as a Catholic, but uh, without a lot of um, decent Catholic catechesis, especially in the home. Um, I left uh, the Catholic Church pretty early on, which coincided with my very first addiction, that of um, masturbation and pornography. And unfortunately for me, I'm uh, I have quite the addictive uh, personality and makeup. And so uh, I also uh, suffer from the disease of alcoholism, which meant that uh, I was drinking alcoholically from age 17. And uh, soon after that, went traveling, started getting into drugs, uh, became addicted to sex and uh, womanizing as well. And uh, this, this carried on for um, uh, until uh, 2007, when I was eventually brought low enough to come to terms with the idea that uh, that I did in fact have the disease of alcoholism. Mm. And, uh, two years later, I met the woman who is now my wife, who was Christian, which was uh, the only thing that uh, that I didn't like about her at the time. Uh, but thankfully, through the the miracle of sobriety, I was uh, I was ag- agnostic by that stage. And so I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll get to know her Protestant Christianity a bit. And and I'm a spiritual person, so maybe we can make it work. And then had a major conversion through an Alpha course. Uh, Four years as a Protestant, felt the call to ministry, went off to Bible college to study to become a Protestant minister. The church fathers ruined that plan. Mm. And uh, began an intensive five months of studying um, both Catholic and Protestant doctrines, specifically from Catholic sources and Protestant sources. I, I wasn't going to find out about the Catholic Church from Protestant sources only. And then eventually through another um, uh, intense experience of the Holy Spirit came home on the 21st of September 2015. So I am now Catholic. I'm home. So you you were Catholic. You left the faith completely. Uh, yes. Would you say you're atheist at that point? 
definitely atheist. I was using scientism as my excuse mm. for why the church was wrong and I could do whatever I like, you know. So that that un, that idea that the only knowledge worth knowing is that which can be gained by the scientific method. Mm, but thankfully, through a lot of providence, uh, God sort of slowly and definitively smashed that, and I, then I became agnostic. Right. Uh, and then you became agnostic and then protestant christian protestant christian and then and then you're finally you're finally home as they say yes um yeah and for those who want more details on how that all worked out for matt you can uh, go and find out uh, on peruzzi on demand uh his talk is in the in his name conference uh collection uh where you can get that from and support uh, the evangelium ministry so check that out um so you had quite a tumultuous uh journey um yes. something that like i was wondering is like because it sounds like you were living the life that is often glorified by society today uh oh, yes. it's kind of like yeah drugs alcohol sex sleeping around yep. you know uh, and yeah. I, I would you like to take a few minutes to maybe just kind of put that like myth uh to to rest of like you know um yeah i feel like there's some people out there that sometimes think like oh man i wish i wasn't catholic now i could just you know just yeah. just for a day right. <laughs> yeah just do whatever i wanted yeah yeah and, yeah, yeah yeah and I, I was living that you know what the world would call a glorified life you know i was i was traveling i was over in europe i was in england mm. i'd become a cocktail f- uh flair bartender in order to fuel my addictions as well so i I had you know constant access to alcohol uh the the pub scene over there was rife with the drugs so you know Mm. i was i was on the drugs i was picking up women i was drinking and it is what the world would call the perfect life right but the truth of it is that you're doing a lot of damage to Mm. the self like I had become a, a person that I didn't recognize. So I, I kind of had a bit of an idea of who Matthew Tag was, um, even in my late teens. But the, the, the second I started drinking and I was I worked out years later that I was probably self-medicating for a generalized anxiety disorder. Mm. But I became this this whole other person and, and any, no one knew me. Right. They only knew the persona. They knew the fun-loving, um, drug-taking, constantly drunk um, bartender who was traveling the world. Mm. But no one really knew me. I wasn't in true communion with other human beings. And the truth of it was that my anxiety was, you know, running riot because I wasn't getting, you know, proper treatment for it. I was self-medicating with this false mm. treatment. Um, I desired communion. I was after love, of course. I was after all of the goods of love, but I was seeking it in lust and pleasure. And so whenever I was alone, I was utterly depressed mm-hmm. I was, and, and utterly, you know, mad and anxious. And so my entire life centered around where I would get my next hit. So when am I going to get the next drink? When am I going to get the next drugs? When am I going to get the next sex? Mm. And believe me, that is not a happy place to be. All right. I was 
utterly enslaved to my passions. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, like, you were constantly looking for satisfaction and just not really getting it. Yeah, um, absolutely. Mm. Because, of course, that, that image and likeness of, of God that we are made in is is not about saying yes to everything. It's about saying yes to the higher goods, mm. right? The greatest goods. And I was saying yes to the lesser goods. And I was trying to fill my life and fill this, this empty hole in my heart with these lesser goods. But it was actually the higher goods that God was constantly trying to offer me that I was really after. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Something that comes to mind, um, and I think this is a question that people in New Zealand might be having a bit more at the moment, maybe around the world as well, because we've recently just had a referendum on um, the legalization of cannabis. And so the argument you always hear, I I, I don't know if you ever did cannabis, um, but judging by your story from the conference, you probably did. There was a bit of it involved, (laughs) yes. It it Uh, wasn't my preference. It wasn't, and it was one that made my anxiety far worse. Oh, really? Yeah, every time I had it, my anxiety went through the roof. It did horrible things to me, yeah. Um, but like, so the, there's, you always hear the argument, um, weed's so much better than alcohol. But mm. also what I've heard from like the, the Catholic stance is uh, the difference between, because, you know, Catholics are like, you can drink alcohol, that's fine, but getting drunk's bad. Yeah. Um, however, they say that marijuana is bad because there isn't a a precursor to high. There isn't a, that's you know. correct. I, so like, I mean... I don't understand that. And maybe you could, through your experience, kind of elaborate a bit on that, like how you can't just yeah. have a, a few puffs of a joint or just one joint, like, you know, that, like in the yeah. same way you would have one beer. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, see, um, we are allowed to drink alcohol, as you say. Right? The, the big difference between someone who has the disease of alcoholism and someone who doesn't is that the second alcohol touches my lips, I get the sensation of craving, all right? I want more. And therefore, one is too many and 100 is not enough, Mm. all right? Because I can't control it. I can't drink like a normal person, all right? So a couple of drinks is okay because we don't get drunk. What's the problem with getting drunk, okay? That image and likeness of God, all right? The ability to choose the good, the higher goods, this is to do with our will and our intellect. And if I'm drunk, my will and my intellect is darkened. Mm-hmm. And I can no longer, I'm no longer in control to be able to choose the higher goods. And so I, I just become enslaved to the passions. And the, the difference between alcohol and marijuana is with alcohol, a normal drinker could have one or two drinks and not reach that drunk where the intellect and will is darkened Mm. but with marijuana okay the tiniest amount right affects the will and the intellect so even one puff of a a joint is going to get into the brain and it's going to cause a problem interesting yeah Hmm. yeah i think yeah that's the the point that i've always I've, i've struggled with most because you know on the outside i guess it looks it looks the same you know and then you know people make the argument that you know people when they get drunk they get violent when people get stoned they just go to sleep and so it's better you know um and then there's the argument like with uh people talk about uh psychedelics which i believe 
weed fits into that category if it kind of opens your mind and helps you have a greater perspective um and so like yeah i think you know that that's an interesting debate that well people i say debate i don't really have an argument against it because i don't know enough about the content Certainly from a from a Catholic perspective, the fact that the, the will and the intellect is darkened means that no Catholic can touch marijuana, mm. right? Now, um, another interesting uh, element to this is that I'm also a pain sufferer. So I suffered a motor vehicle accident in 2004, um, which crushed two of my vertebrae. Mm. So I'm always in pain. So people will come back with the argument of, well, legal marijuana for pain management but again as catholics okay i would rather take the pain than darken my intellect and go mm. back to that base animal okay mm. that that well, yeah. no good human being that i used to be that was only interested in self because the highest definition of love we have in the catholic faith is to will the good of the other mm. and i can't do that if my intellect and will is darkened Right, yeah, yeah. And yeah. from your experience of, you know, well, maybe not with alcohol because of your uh, condition, but like your experience of having weed, is it is it obvious to you that the the intellect is darkened immediately? Oh yes. Okay. Uh, what would you be able to describe that a bit for us, or? Well, you're drawing on some pretty old memories, right? Yeah. Um, but it's 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 pretty easy to liken it to, to, you know, being drunk on alcohol, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm, I'm definitely not driving. Okay. My intellect is not driving the car, so to speak, okay. uh, when I'm drunk and it's pretty much the same with the marijuana and it's, it's, it kind of feels a little, yeah, it's a different beast of course, but as far as what we're talking about, that darkening of the intellect and no longer being able to choose the highest good, it's exactly the same okay right? and but with marijuana it's 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 zero to 100 there's no there's no slow acceleration it's just zero 100 that's it mm. marijuana's in it attaches into the areas of the brain it attaches and uh done deal whereas with alcohol the first couple of drinks are not going to have the same effect i'm still kind of in control mm. of course oh. if you have the disease of alcoholism right there's an argument all right the argument can and should be made that if you have the disease of alcoholism the tiniest amount of alcohol is going to produce the sensation of craving and therefore i'm not in control i can't stop Mm. at two drinks right so for for most catholics right they might have a limit they you know for for the lightweights it might be one glass of wine and they're done okay they can't go any further because then they're going to get drunk for Mm. others it might be six but for someone like me with the disease of alcoholism, it's the tiniest drop of alcohol mm. um, cannot pass my lips because I, I just lose control immediately. I can't choose the good. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Sounds like a, quite a burden to bear. Um... I don't miss it. And I, I yeah, there, there's some of the some of the tastes and flavors. Sure. Mm. Um, you know, there's some there's some lovely tastes and flavors. I actually miss um, fortified wine more than anything. The tokays and the muskets, I, I particularly liked. But it's all of the horror that goes with it 
Okay, that that small good there mm. is not something worth pursuing because I know of all the horror that comes with even a small sip. And yeah. so I don't miss it because for me it's it's an all encompassing package. Yeah, and that's what the um you know, the church like well, that's life, you know, the the devil puts small goods in front of you to avoid you stop you getting to greater goods. Um That's right. Yeah, and so like, um, how has your faith? Uh, well, you know, how how's your faith? Because your 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 it was non-Catholic Christianity that got you your first stop, before, yep. which got when you were out of it. So, would you say that the your belief in God was fundamental in your sobriety? Uh, as a Protestant, or just when I was sober before I was Christian? Um. Yeah, well, like, yeah, yeah, your, your Christianity. How is your Christianity yeah. affected? And then how did Catholicism, Catholicism it, taking you further kind of thing? It, it really wasn't. because, and, and I would lay that at the feet of the poor catechesis that has been given in the Catholic faith over the past 50 years. Mm. Because I um, became a Protestant Christian and I believed all of those you know, those Protestant things that they tell you about the Catholic faith, because I'd never been catechized properly. You know, I had a problem with Mary. So, you know, why are Catholics always praying to Mary? Why not just Jesus? So in that respect, no, no, I wasn't terribly fundamentalist. And I was still very scientific. Thankfully, this um, this church had some really good Christians in it who were open to um, stuff like the Big Bang and evolution. So they weren't um, like full ball creationists or anything mm -hmm. like that. Uh, so I'd still kept a lot of my scientific curiosity. So I wouldn't have called myself um, fundamentalist at all. But it wasn't until I started investigating, uh, you know, I started getting this inspiration to, to go deeper, to mm -hmm. learn more. I was asking like the rich young man, uh, Lord, what must I do to be saved? particularly because I was working through the, the, the 12 steps of mm. um, Alcoholics Anonymous and I wanted to make uh, reparation, restitution for all the damage I'd done. So I was asking, what should I do? Right, this, yeah. this led me into this uh, inspiration of going all in and, and getting into ministry. And, uh, and that's what took me to Bible college. And yeah, it was, uh, it was similar questions. Uh, in a way, I'm kind of thankful to the, to some of the um, the falsehoods that Protestants tell um, other Protestants about the Catholic Church because it was a couple of things in class actually that alerted me where the lecturer has actually said, you know, Catholics believe this. Now I have had a very Catholic grandfather, and so I did manage to receive some catechesis in the faith. And for a few years at the end of primary school, we had a very good priest. In, so I'd learned a thing or two, and so I was able to pick up on a couple of falsehoods that had been given in the classroom, and I thought to myself, if they're going to misrepresent the Catholic faith, then maybe I should be investigating Catholic claims from Catholics mm. to make sure that I'm hearing the truth, and, and that's what started the journey. So it's not, it's almost, would you agree with the statement that it wasn't uh, Christianity that uh, kind of saved you from... Uh, fr from your addictions, but it was your addictions that drew you further into Christianity. In a way, yes, yeah. It was the it was the sorrow for sin. It was the sorrow mm. for my past actions and my my desire to be a different person, a new creature in Christ, mm. and to give 
because he had saved me, all right, from alcoholism. Yeah. Because it's, in order to do a 12-step program, you, you need to be able to hand your will, no, we've been talking about the mm. will, right, hand the will and the life over to the care of God as we understood him. And it's, it's only been since I've returned to the Catholic Church that I've realized that the 12-step uh, the program is very Catholic. Oh, yeah. Very, very Catholic. Yes, yes, yeah. You've got you've got confession in there. You've got um, uh, examination of conscience, all sorts of things that are, are absolutely rooted in the Catholic faith. That's really yes. cool. So he had saved me from the insanity of alcoholism. Right. And so when I then became Christian, when I when I realized that my higher power had a name and his name was Jesus Christ. There was nothing I wouldn't do for him mm. because he had saved me from a truly horrible life. He had literally plucked me out of the suburbs of hell. And so I wanted to throw all in for him. And that's what really led me to um, Bible college. But it actually wasn't until I became Catholic that I started getting true healing from addiction. Was that through the sacrament of confession or the sacraments generally? or It, it was in a big way, yes. Mm. Certainly because, in a big way. Yeah, because I was going to ask you about, because obviously the um, Protestant and Catholic uh, concepts of like sin and forgiveness are quite different in the sense that yep. obviously we've got the sacrament of penance, which involves the act of confessing to a priest mm. and the prayers that go around that. Uh, I'm not fully aware of every, the Protestant theology on it. I just remember yeah. once I went to a Hillsong church and it was quite an awkward situation. We were in a... Um, a theater of, and there must have been mm -hmm. like, at least a hundred, no, definitely way more than hundreds of people there. And yeah. they just said, uh, they basically asked people like, if, if you have sinned, just shout it out now and we'll pray over you. And I was like, yeah. who's going to do that? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's kind of like a right three reconciliation, uh, <laughs> very public though. That's my experience as well. Even oh, in really? Churches that are in the service, there would be like a, an act of contrition that would be put up on the screens. Everyone would pray that act of contrition, and your sins are forgiven. So there was there was no speaking of the sins, and and that was a massive that was a massive difference for yeah. me, um, oh. because of course you know what is what is the first step in defeating evil, naming it. Yeah. If, if I can't admit to myself that I have the disease of alcoholism, I'm never going to begin to overcome that evil in my life. Mm -hmm. And so by naming our sins, by speaking them and putting them out there, right, we are admitting to ourselves. And in the, the sacrament of, of reconciliation, we're admitting it to God, to ourselves and to another human being, which is one of the steps mm -hmm. of, the, of a 12-step program. And all of that is right there in confession. And when I name my sins, I'm, I'm putting that information out there and I am admitting it to myself. And when I do, I am now challenged, right, to overcome that vice in my life. Mm, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it, like, even just amongst friends, it's just like, you know, saying something that's on your mind as it comes mm. out of your mouth is, like, oh, that's stupid. I shouldn't feel that way. Uh, mm. And like, and it kind of like dispels it. Yeah. Whereas if you keep it inside, it, it yes. builds yeah. up. 
Yeah. Because we're incarnational beings, aren't we? Mm. You know, we're, we're, we're body and soul and mind, right? Mm. And so, yeah, the, this Protestant way of I'm going to state this act of contrition, but I'm just going to silently in my own heart confess my sins to God, right? that doesn't work mm. because we're incarnational creatures. We've been given bodies. Yeah, right? yeah. And by speaking, okay, remember, how did God bring the entire universe into existence? Mm. He spoke it yeah. into existence in this very nonviolent way. And this is the importance of the word. And what do we know, of course? Who is the word? Jesus Christ. Mm. Therefore, okay, it is important that we use our words to state what our vices are, what the evils are that we are giving into. And mm. only then can we begin to tackle that sort of uh, that sort of um, habitual sin in our lives. Mm. Yeah, and I think, yeah, it makes things that are intangible, tangible, you know, when it's, exactly. you, know, you know, yes, you can hear it, uh, yep. you can taste it as it comes out your mouth a bit, maybe. That's right. Um, but yeah, that's really cool. I think, yeah, and the little bit of psychology I've done over the years is it's always been parts of like oh wow this is this is catholicism this is living a catholic yeah. life you know right yes you know uh we've just been doing it for a couple of thousand years which is kind of cool yep. um but yeah so you know we've talked a lot about like your journey so far and like elements within that and i suppose the question now is like how do you maintain your sobriety how do you maintain your faith um as as you said it like you know keeping away from those vices i mean mm. the um yeah. the alcohol one and especially like in the society that we live in today where mm -hmm. uh, you know you know addiction to pornography is like just turn on the tv you know just walk past any advertisement you know yeah. it's you know yeah. life is porn nowadays um yes and so like how do you how do you stay on the straight and narrow how do you how do you deal with these things? Well, the the basic answer to the question is to be a disciple of Christ. You know, okay. um, you know when when um, you know back in the Jewish uh, the Israelite tradition, um, the rabbis, okay, they they the rabbis when they became a disciple, right? When the, they were on their road to to becoming um, a rabbi themselves, right? They became a disciple of the rabbi. And this didn't mean just, you know, turning up for lectures on a daily basis and then going home and doing essays or anything like, like that. No, no, you literally had to walk in the footsteps of, mm. of the rabbi. So you would live in the rabbi's house. Okay, you would eat the rabbi's food. You would be at the rabbi's table. You would sleep, all right, in the next room next to the rabbi. You would basically copy everything about that rabbi and 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 who is the supreme rabbi who is the supreme teacher it's jesus christ so the the, the way to beat these things is to become a true disciple and you you can't you can't give right, what you don't have all right so in order to evangelize in order to bring others to christ you need christ yourself mm. so that was the that was the first thing that, that really um destruct uh, struck me okay and um there was a, gr a great book by jeff cavens called the activated disciple that i found very very helpful and um jeff lays out um five steps that one should um 
or five areas of one's life that you needed to work on to be a disciple. And that is sacraments, prayer, study, service, and fellowship. Mm. So sacraments, sacraments, sacraments. Get, yeah. get to the sacraments as often as possible, okay? Uh, very next on that list and related to is prayer and i discovered something called the hierarchy of prayer um, in the catholic tradition and it has absolutely changed my life mm -hmm. now it's very easy to to work out which the, what is the highest prayer that mm -hmm. we have in the catholic faith okay the mass it's, it's the mass yeah, obviously yeah. okay and mass is liturgy right so liturgy is number one on the hierarchy of prayer but I discovered also that liturgy has a part A and a part B. So A is the the sacrifice, the holy sacrifice of the mass. But part B was this thing called the liturgy of the hours. Right. So if you if you go to mass only once on Sunday, or even if you go to mass once every day, okay, that's 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 one hour of your life mm -hmm. um, at each each day. All right. But Christ wants all of us. And so he wants our whole day, right? And back in 512 with St. Benedict, he came up with a rule, okay, which has formed um, the entirety of Western monasticism. And in it, he came up with this thing called the liturgy of the hours. And it's where you take a pause at certain times of the day and you pray the Psalms. And initially, the monks would have to pray all 150 Psalms, um, in uh, every day okay and then it was it, it spread out over a week and, and finally mm. right in the in the modern church after vatican ii the the um the liturgy of the hours you pray all 150 psalms over a 28 day period and you stop at uh, every about every three hours and you stop and you pray maybe for for 10 to 20 minutes and you end up in this this beautiful pattern and not only that, you start getting soaked in the Psalms mm. and it begins to change your thought patterns, mm -hmm. begins to, to change the way that you view the world. And Vatican II actually called for the laity to pray Lords and Vespers mm -hmm. every day. Okay, so the Liturgy of the Hours starts uh, early in the morning at about six o'clock with, with Lords. Okay, that's the, the morning prayer. Mm -hmm. And then three hours later, you've got Terse at nine o'clock third hour that's what terse means and then you've got sext right sixth hour right that's 12 o'clock and then you've got known okay or ninth hour that's nine o'clock and incidentally these are the same times that the jews would pray would stop and, and pray during the day particularly mm. morning um middle prayer and evening pray, prayer and so six o'clock in the evening that's vespers and then there's another one at nine just before you go to sleep called compline and but the laity have been called so this is they would pray that in in a monastery every right, single day yeah, yeah. all of those prayers right and after vatican ii it was suggested that the laity pray morning and evening prayer like the two hinges of the day and it's also a way of taking the mass and spreading it out across an entire day mm. and bringing the liturgy into every day right and mm. into your habitual day so that that liturgy begins to to affect you even in your home, which is a domestic church. Right. No yeah, yeah. 
So, yeah, I, I got very interested in um, Benedictine spirituality um, fairly early on. And this idea of the liturgy of the hours really appealed to me, um, as did the Benedictine way of aura et labora, prayer and work. Right. Because with my injury, I can't do as much work as other people. Or rather, if I am going to do, you know, a, a, a normal work day, for instance, I actually have to take breaks. So if I'm sitting at a desk, I can't sit at a desk for long. I need to move then to maybe a different chair somewhere, maybe on the couch or, um, or in bed, and I've got to move around. And so this idea of prayer and work and these, mm. these regular hours breaking up my day really appeals to me, and it's, it's worked really well. So I've fallen in, in love with the, um, the liturgy of the hours and highly recommend it. Yeah, because I've uh, I've gone through periods of doing the morning prayer every morning. Yeah, lockdown provided a really unique opportunity of uh, joining a Zoom prayer group, where awesome. every morning we did the morning prayers, uh, the daily readings, and a rosary. So we did a holy hour every morning. Excellent. Um, when I, when I'm able, I do the uh, compline the night prayer with my wife. Yep. Um, so do you do all the prayers? Because you're saying you break up your No, I, so yeah, I, I actually loved the Benedictine spirituality so much that I ended up becoming a third order Benedictine called an oblate. Mm. And so that's why you'll see my name hyphenated as Matthew Herman, because um, my Benedictine community at Jamboree was still traditional enough that they allowed us to attach a Benedictine name to our Christian name. And I was particularly attracted to Blessed Herman of Reichenau, also known as Blessed Herman the Cripple, um, particularly because he had back issues. Mm. <laughs> he was bedridden most of his life, um, in fact. So as a Benedictine tertiary, I promise to pray Lords and Vespers. So if I don't get in one of the prayers because I'm busy because of my state in life, that it's not a sin. It's not like a vow. Um, but the idea is that I try and live out Benedictine spirituality as much as I can in everyday life, mm -hmm. which is why also I try every day to pray the second level of the hierarchy of prayer. So right at the top, you've got liturgy, okay? And liturgy is all about the mission of Christ, right? To glorify the Father and sanctify his people. So all of the prayers, all of the chants in the liturgy should be all directed to the Father, through Christ the head, right, to, to glorify that Father and to sanctify us. So what do you reckon the next level on the hierarchy of prayer is? Okay, if that's a down to up prayer, right, the next one is top down. All right. right? And it's called Lexio Divina. Yeah. It's probably what you were talking about with the readings, right? I guess so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's a prayerful way of reading Scripture slowly, prayerfully, um, there's, a, mm. there's a format to it, and you're looking for a, a sentence or a scene or even just a word to kind of jump out at you. And then you might read it again, right? You might have to read it several times before something jumps out, and sometimes something doesn't even jump out for me, mm. and I just sort of contemplate the whole of the passage of, of Scripture. Uh, but if you do get something that jumps out, then what you do is you go into this uh, the next phase where you kind of have a conversation with God over what I think it might mean and, um, you know, I'm sort of talking to him. But then the idea is you go quiet and just see what comes into the head, see what uh, what thoughts come up. And so this is a way of God speaking to us through the word. And uh, I find that if I can get my 
um, Liturgy of the Hours and my Lexio Divina in, I, I usually have a better day than if I don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's um, it's a highly worthwhile uh, practice. Yeah, definitely. I've used Lectio Divina before. In, in my years as a chaplain, I used to do a weekly mm-hmm. Bible study, and so I'd incorporate that into it a bit. So we'd go through each reading, share what stuck out to us. We wouldn't go in, it, we wouldn't read it several times because we were doing the Sunday yep. reading. So we did, and we only had a set amount of time. So, but I would use yep. that like kind of the first thing is I'd read through it twice and see what stuck out to people and um, we'd share on that. But yeah, it wasn't yep. too in depth. But yeah, I, I've used that before. It's uh, yeah, great. Cool. I think That's like great. it's good because it, it, it highlights the. Um, the spirituality of the scriptures as well as the yeah. like hermeneutics and theology yes. and stuff. Uh, yeah. We can and get the too fact that it's, it's God talking to us and then it's, it's what, what is God trying to say to me specifically through the infallible word of God? Yeah. 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 Great practice. Keeps yeah. it, keeps it, keeps it alive, which it is living yeah. scripture, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Mm. Definitely. And then the third level of the hierarchy of prayer is of course, what do you reckon? called devotional prayer all right you're, you're probably familiar with the uh with the queen of devotions yeah the rosary, the rosary. <laughs> <laughs> right so the rosary kind of sits right at the top almost in its uh its own category um it's definitely right at the top of all devotional prayers and i i again i find that if i get my if i get my hours in so my divine office or liturgy of the hours i get my lexio in I always find if I've got those two in and then I'm able to fit a rosary in, I find it a lot more easy to concentrate mm. during the rosary because mm. I've already put myself into this spiritual pattern during the day. Mm. And then, of course, all the other devotionals fall under that. And then there's one final level of uh, the hierarchy of prayer, and it's level four, and it's called extemporary prayer. And that's prayer to God in our own words. Now, the interesting thing is that if you practice levels one and two, okay, liturgy and Lexio Divina, then levels three and four become more godlike and more efficacious. Mm. So just like I said, if I get levels one and two in and then pray the rosary, I'm able to concentrate on the prayers more. I'm able to meditate on the mysteries more. Mm. Right? And then notice that it's a hierarchy, so it's going downwards. And then what happens to my extemporary prayer that day Right, it becomes the words of the Psalms that I just spontaneously offer to God, mm-hmm. or you know, my thoughts more easily turn to Him, particularly in thanksgiving and praise. And of course, that level of intimacy with God, where you, you're sort of drawing more into Him, that extemporary prayer that's been influenced by the upper levels, then leads you back up back to liturgy so the top levels inform the bottom levels and the bottom levels lead back towards the top and um a lot of the saints practice this and mm. uh, a lot of, this is this is how a lot of the saints uh, moved into uh these um higher levels of the interior life and the spiritual life so yeah, yeah i found those practices particularly good mm. it makes a lot of sense um like you're saying one and two leads to three it, you know yeah. enhances three and four um devotion for me has been always been a, a a big thing and i think i was kind of introduced to the faith through exem extemporary prayer yep. in the sense that yep. like i was kind of introduced through the charismatic renewal which yeah sure. focuses more yep. on there you know like I, it was actually interesting i remember straight after i converted i got brought along to a charismatic prayer group 
And this after this is like uh, maybe a month or two after being a Catholic, and that was the first time I realized I could pray for myself. Yes. And I'd only I'd only been praying for others up until that point. I'm like, gosh, yeah. why 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 are you praying? What yeah. <laughs> you know, praying for ourselves yeah. and and stuff, and asking for God to work in our lives, which yeah. like blew my yeah. mind. When you practice those higher levels, that extemporary prayer becomes more mm. like a real conversation between you and God as well. Yeah. So it's it's not as much about me just praying in my own words, but it's it then becomes it becomes a real conversation mm. with Him as well. I found. Yeah, and like the Rosary is uh, it's often like um, I I got, got enrolled in the scapula because I started yeah. praying yeah, the Rosary. Um, Every time I walked somewhere, I'd, I'd pray the rosary uh, because I'm right. ADHD, so I can't sit down for too long. And <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things is like actually the rosary has um, kind of enlightened me to the depths of scripture. And, you yep. know, uh, I've had lots of like revelations into into truth through that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is a case of like distancing my, myself from me and moving myself closer to god through mary um yeah yeah i think devotion is a tough one for a lot of people because it seems a bit creepy mm. like it seems like okay whoa 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 <laughs> it's like i get it god jesus yeah i get it mary what yes. are you talking about saints right. are you freaking crazy <laughs> you know that's right um, that's right that's right and and it was something i had to wrestle with early on in my catholicism as well um, but again, thankfully, God's providence stepped in. Mm. Um, and I was actually talking to a, a friend of my aunt's one day, and I'd just been enrolled in the brown scapula. And um, she was clearly a pain sufferer. So we got talking about pain. Mm. And I said how much I was um, struggling with it. And at the time, I was being put on and off again onto uh, opiates as well. So um, that was not good opiates for 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 someone with a disease of alcohol are like alcohol in a pill form mm. really so um yeah i was really struggling because i would then have that darkened intellect and i'd, I'd fall into um mortal sin every time and i uh, was having a, a terrible time and this woman said oh you must read um saint louis de montfort's yeah. friends of the cross oh really i was like oh okay <laughs> straight on the kindle friends of the cross suddenly i was introduced to the catholic understanding of redemptive suffering and it changed my life uh, it changes everything and it? it was it was because of that book and and then after i'd finished reading you know started on friends of the cross i thought this louis de montfort's pretty cool i wonder what else he's written <laughs> and bingo suddenly i discover true, true devotion. devotion to mary and i'm like now I get it. Now mm. I get it. You know, um, I'll never forget a conversation I had with uh, a very dear cousin. I think it was about six months into my Catholicism. And he said, how's your newfound Catholicism going? And I said, oh, so good. I am falling ever deeper into a love affair with the Blessed Mother. And my cousin knew what I was like. So, And he just burst out laughing and he said, never in my wildest dreams would I have imagined that those words would yeah. come out of the mouth of Matthew Tague. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and so that's, that's how I got into the, into the devotion thing. It was through Friends of the Cross. But then I was introduced to redemptive suffering and then... You know, all of these big brothers and sisters and friends that we have in heaven, you know, when we pray to them, as Louis de Montfort makes very, very clear, we are praying to God. 
we are praying to Jesus because mm. the saints are in heaven and God and Jesus know everything that's going on. We're still praying to them. Mm. but And those saints are, are going to keep nothing for themselves. Mm. This comes back to this understanding of the inner life of the Trinity, you know. So um, if if I asked you to, to, to have an idea of, of who Dominic is, you, you've got an idea in your head of, of who you are, right? And I've got an idea in my head of who you are, but my idea of who you are is less perfect than your idea of yourself, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So when God has an idea of who he is, it is such a perfect image of who he is that it's a whole nother person that of Jesus Christ. And of course, there has to be another because if God is love, mm. and the highest definition of love is willing the good of the other and God is love, there must be another. And so God the Father, right, wills the good of the other and he pours himself out in complete self-sacrificing love upon the Son. And the Son, being a perfect image of the Father, keeps nothing for himself but pours it back to mm. the Father in complete complete self-emptying, self-sacrificial love. And the image of the love that passes between them is so perfect, it's a whole other person, the Holy Spirit. Mm. And grace is the inner life of the Trinity. Heaven is being within the inner life of the Trinity. So all of those saints, they're not keeping anything for themselves. This, <coughs> this is just the passing of love between individuals, the love of God himself. So when mm. we pray to those saints... They pass those prayers to God. God knows we've prayed them anyway. Mm. But then those saints join their prayers to ours. So it's just like on earth if we, we ask someone to pray for us. You know, why? Why Can't we just pray to Jesus? Yeah. Well, yeah. We're told in Scripture to pray for each other. This mm. is important. Well, the saints in heaven are, are more alive than we are here on earth. Mm. Right? Why wouldn't they continue to pray for us? And so, yeah, Louis de Montfort was a, a big help in getting over a lot of those uh, those early hurdles for yeah. me. Yeah. So all that you were just talking about, is that from what you learned in the Friends of the Cross and the True Devotion? Uh, yeah, pretty much. And then some Trinitarian theology on top yeah, of that. Yeah. So lots of podcasts, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very good. Yeah, so I'm, yeah, I'm dyslexic as well as ADHD, so reading's not my yeah. forte. Yeah. Um, so you brought up two, I guess, big uh, topics that I think lots of mm. people struggle with. Um, one, I mean, but like ones that I found like absolute joy in, in my life, and that's you know coming to terms with marrying devotion and theology yep. and also redemptive suffering. Yeah, um, a big one. So, because with my own personal journey with Mary, like I converted to Catholicism when I was twenty-two, and. Yep. Uh, I remember I was part of the Catholic Society in at university in Wales and um, being part of the Catholic Society before every meeting, they'd pray a rosary. And I was like, well, I guess I'm Catholic. This is what I do now. Uh, but I was like, but this doesn't make sense. I don't, you know, yeah. it's a lot of Hail Marys for something that's meant to be towards God. Uh, yeah. So I just did it. Didn't question, just like do it as fast as you can, get on the meeting. And mm -hmm. then um, during my time at SPEC, which is a volunteer missionary community in the Westminster Diocese, I was kind of mm -hmm. challenged. Uh, we prayed the rosary once a week as a community, and I was challenged to mm. say, you know, okay, this is a prayer to God, so I'll use it. And through that Not prayer it. came some beautiful fruits. And then again, it's just been a step-by-step -step journey. But like, mm. I guess um, 
how do you how do you explain mary uh and you and devotion to her because i mean i've got a friend who's catholic good catholic i told him about st louis de montford's uh true devotion he was like this is weird you know and he's a good yeah, Catholic it's guy. It's pretty like, heavy going yeah, yeah it's, it's real <laughs> intense and like you know i think i could only receive it at the point i did because of the years and years of journeying towards mm. like you know a, a little bit of like fake it till you make it as well you know definitely and faking it till you make it is a, a legitimate way of being because we're talking about objective realities here mm. so prayer is an objective reality and that objective reality is going to be working on us so faking it till you make it can sometimes work because it is going to have an effect so even if you do not feel like praying like i'm not getting anything out of this right, right? Then, you know praying a rosary every day you know and i, I don't feel close to god well kind of in one respect, fake it till you make it, sure, because there's still an objective reality going on, but also be aware that God may be trying to teach you something in, in desolation as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that idea of objective reality is really interesting. It's something that's, that's uh, hard to keep in mind. I was listening to uh, the Curious and I was listening to um, Clerically Speaking podcast, and they were talking mm -hmm. about the incarnation of Christ. And the fact yeah. that that is a fact, and if it is a fact, what does that mean? It means you have to change your whole life. You know that Jesus yeah, did walk amongst this. Um, yeah. But yeah. yeah. So yeah, bearing that in mind with prayer is, you know, it's it. You know, there is a feeling element to it, but it's not about the feeling. It's like you know, it's if you not... keep polishing this table, even if you can't see how shiny it is, yeah. it will be curing the wood. You know. Yeah. One of one of the most interesting things about um, Gregorian chant. That I've, that I've heard um, Gregorian chant described is that um, Gregorian chant is so designed that it stills our passions in order to open our hearts. Mm. And uh, there's, there's actually um, a lot of scientific evidence out there now uh, that shows that uh, even just listening to Gregorian chant actually has physiological effects on the human body. Ah. It's lowers blood pressure it slows heart rate it, all sorts of amazing things yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. yes and yeah. i heard that uh gregorian chant doesn't have a time signature because god is timeless uh it's an interesting way of putting it but um no primarily see every when you go into mass all right and the the little uh youth band starts up mm. all right and inevitably it's going to be a 24 bar blues right okay so you're gonna get you're gonna get that four four time signature as soon as a as one, a time signature starts up right you know that the word will be subservient to the melody oh, okay we're dealing with the word who is a person who is jesus christ right and mm. so gregorian chant is the complete opposite to modern music right chant grew out of the word so it is the word that informs the chant not the other way around okay mm. it so the chant is subservient to the word mm. right which is the same as um what it, it should be at every single mass yeah see my wife tells me i'm terrible at keeping in time with my music but it's just i love the word inform me that's yeah. what it is yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah with with mary um yes approaching her and getting involved with her and praying the rosary with her uh can you go mm. in a bit deeper into that area 
Yeah, well, same for me. It feels weird at first. Mm. It, it feels very weird at first. But um, learning about the rosary is very helpful too. Learning about how it came about mm. And, mm. and what it actually is. Uh, once I understood that th this wasn't, you know, prayers to Mary or prayers even to God, that this was a meditation on the life of Christ through the eyes of Mary, it, 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 that changed everything. Yeah, and um, thankfully, there's uh, a number of um, you know uh, really good books on Mary. But when it comes to the Rosary, the best book out there is Father Donald Calloway's um, Champions of the Rosary. Oh, right. So I completely understand if Louis de Montfort's kind of hard to read. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's in older English, and the sentences are really long and and stuff like that. You got to reach for dictionaries to look up some words, all yeah. that sort of stuff. I understand that. But in the modern world, we've got a book like Champions of the Rosary, which is going to help and help us understand the rosary. But also you've got stuff like, um, you know, all of the modern books that, uh, that are out, Behold Your Mother, Hail Holy Queen, um, Ted Shree's Rethinking Mary. Mm. Um, there's lots of books that have been written by really good scholars um, in the world today that, uh, that can really help with this. Even something like the Catholic Answers 20 Antlers uh, booklet on Mary itself can be really, really helpful. Mm. So, so I guess it's just about daring yourself to take the first step and look into it. Yeah. Eh? Yeah, because yeah. I, I, I mean, again, along my journey, I remember there was this, uh, in my first year in the chaplaincy, I found out that October was the mo month of the Most Holy Rosary, so I decided to organize yeah. every Monday we would uh, mm. pray a rosary and we'd have someone talk about the rosary. Um, mm. And that's what's kind of started my love for the rosary and started me praying the rosary every day. But, yes. like, it was from, it's from little snippets from talks that I... Yeah. I I organized yeah. for other people, but like I was like, all right, I'm getting so much out of this, and it That's really right. strengthened my faith uh, and my yeah. my devotion to the rosary. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, and like just prayer. It's just like you know, as you've been saying, you know, such a structure to your life. It's yeah. When I go through those periods of doing prayer every day, it just everything's enhanced. And when it's not until it's been a few weeks without, and I'm like, oh man, I just there's yeah. something not right, you know. Yeah. But then yeah. it's so hard getting back into it. You just got to grit yeah. your teeth and go for it. Um, yeah. Matthew Leonard, who um, who used to work for the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology and has done, who, who is the presenter on a number of their Bible studies, he started up his own apostolate called um, Next Level Catholic Academy. Um, and uh, he teaches the science of sainthood. And he's got a great little book that he gives away for free called Eight Ways to Jumpstart Your Prayer Life. Oh. So if you yeah if you um look up matthew leonard mm -hmm. um and uh and and that book eight ways to jumpstart your prayer life that that can be a really big help particularly if you're struggling to pray at all right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's cool that's cool yeah and i think it's, it's like you said that objective reality is it is working on you so it's prayer is transformative right. but i guess yes. you know coming back to the topic of redemptive suffering there is a suffering in that in like that giving up of your sloth or your you know watching yeah. tv or whatever in like yes because so, in the last couple of years you know uh well, 2019 was a, a big year for me i uh, i left my job which i've been in for seven years uh, my wife <laughs> had a baby i started a degree we bought a house and wow. Through that, I had to be. I had to just completely 
learn selflessness and i had yeah. to we had to we actually refurbished the whole house in six weeks and that was like being beaten up physically um mainly by my father-in-law but that's a whole other story um <laughs> but yeah so saint Teresa of Lisieux was really my my guide through this Love time that. of turmoil and distress and being able to transform that into uh into a good thing in, in, in yeah. redemptive suffering so i was because i've had lots of people like because i through saint Teresa of Lisieux, i've been le- learned to kind of like when something awful's coming up it could be a deadline it could be mm. you know just a horrible day that i've got to go through i get quite excited i'm like yes this is an opportunity and then when i'm in it i'm like this is a terrible opportunity but like <laughs> i know the feeling <laughs> so how i i don't know how to articulate that excitement and of, of like oh yes this is we can suffer now we can suffer mm-hmm. uh and like and then there's also the other side of it it's like don't look for suffering um yeah. so if you could yeah. uh help me elaborate on a few of those things like i can certainly can certainly try yes um it might help to tell you a story of, uh, of um, one of my early Lents. Um, I got uh, kidney stones. Uh, oh. It turns out that one of my uh, superpowers is um, uh, turning uh, certain um, unhealthy foods into kidney stones. So <laughs> chips and chocolate, apparently, in me, all right, uh, becomes a kidney stone. I've had at least 10 of them. Oh, no. And one of them came on me right at the beginning of Lent. And uh, I've, I've got a very good uh, priest friend and I serve mass for him most Sundays and uh, we usually have lunch afterwards. And, uh, I, you know, I, was, I, I didn't have medication on board. I was able to go over and I was just starting in this new kidney stone journey. And he said to me, well, your Lenten sacrifice has been chosen for you, hasn't it? Oh, wow. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, um, often the crosses that God sends to us are more precious to him than those would we we would impose upon ourselves. Ooh. So your Lenten sacrifice has been chosen. Wow, that's deep. That's don't, deep. Don't do anything else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and boy, was it a help because that one was particularly bad and ended up in surgery. So, oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yes, we don't look for sacrifices. We we should sacrifice, and mm. often, right? The the only resource that we that we have in abundance is our time. Mm. Right, and so yes, we should be sacrificing our time. We also need time for leisure, though. Don't remember that uh, God made a rest day, mm. so we should definitely rest, right? But we need to rest more in Him than in the world. Mm. So we shouldn't um, necessarily look for the, the the worst kind of sacrifices. We, you know, we don't have to go into each and every one mm. of us don't have to go into the desert and perform extreme mortifications. Uh, if you're capable of doing that, then well done. You're a, you're a better person than me. But quite often it's those those sacrifices that are thrust upon us. And they're the ones that God really wants us to engage in. Mm. They're the ones that are going to be most efficacious. And it was through all this sort of understanding and really and, and Louis de Montfort's Friends of the Cross in particular, as he describes, you know, he opens up by saying, so you have suffering. What a joy. Mm. Rejoice, you, you, you exalted being. Christ is drawing you closer to himself through his cross and you can unite your pains to his holy pains. I'd never heard anything like this mm. before. Mm. But it was this kind of understanding of suffering that then led me to eventually give up opiates. 
So I am a pain sufferer right, who has pain every day, right? The sort of pain that GPs would happily give me opiates for. Mm. And I do not take them. Mm. I'm now able through the Catholic understanding of redemptive suffering to endure more pain on a daily basis than I've ever been able to endure before. And surprisingly, I find my pain easier to bear now than when I was on the opiates. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. I'm able to do more now. I'm able to do more around the house. I'm able to do, you know, more with renovations. You know, I've, I've over the past couple of years been working to improve my health. And seven weeks ago, I started a weights program. And the first six weeks were, were some of the most painful of my entire existence. But now it's starting to show. And if I can improve my health even further, then I'm going to be able to do more for my family and I'm going to be able to do more for God. That's amazing. That's really and this is all through joining my pain to his pains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. remember, every, anything, particularly if you take it to mass, like I, I, I try to say this time and time again, okay? Uh, we need to take all of our sufferings to mass, mm. right? Because when we take the bread and the wine up, right? That, that bread and wine is a representation of the entire universe, right? So you need, you need the entire universe for that bread and wine to come into existence okay. because you had to have the Big Bang and then you had to have stars and then you had to have supernovas to form heavy elements and then the plant, planets coalesce and then a, a sun comes into existence and then water, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So when we take up the bread and wine, we're essentially taking up the entire universe to God. Mm. Right? And we're putting it on the altar and offering it to him in sacrifice. And what does he do with it? He doesn't consume it, right? He doesn't take it up into heaven. No, no, no. He returns it to us infinitely elevated. Mm. All right? So have a listen to one of my preparatory prayers that I do before Mass, right, for before every Mass. Uh, Dear Guardian Angel, please take my sacrifice and join it to the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Take all that I am, all that I have, all of my trials, all of my joys, and all of my sins, and join this to the holy sacrifice of the Mass in Christ's name. Amen. Mm. So all that I am, all that I have, right, all of my joys, all of my sufferings, right? That's now been put on the pattern and in the chalice. What's God going to do with it? Sure. He's going to return it to me, yeah. infinitely elevated, right? The things that have happened in my life since I started praying prayers like that. And the best news is you can take as many intentions as you like to every mass. Mm. Oh, Lord, I'm having a problem with this person. Please put them on the pattern. Mm. Or this situation in my life, put it on the pattern. Man, right? yeah. God's going to return it to you. He's, he's going to do something with that um, sacrifice that you're offering him that you just won't expect. And it's, it's amazing. It's yeah, brilliant. Yeah. It's really you, when, you, when you start putting yourself on the pattern, your life can go off in incredible directions. Mine certainly has. Yeah. You know, you know, the I, more I contemplate like things like that during the mass of like how every element is like, it's got it's got this deep purpose it's just i just feel like i've yeah. like been destroyed but in the same way that a, a seed yeah. is destroyed when it's laid in the ground and then it creates and all of a sudden you become this great thing like fort yeah. sheen talks about the seed Absolutely. becomes the grass the grass gets eaten by the deer and yep. then deer eats eaten by the human and it's kind of like 
at each point it's leveled up and then yep. we'd get destroyed and we get leveled up uh as it's... it says in the scriptures we don't know what yep. we shall be like but we know one thing we shall be like him yes oh man yeah exactly yeah so yeah. um and, and one of the one of the ways that um that i learned about doing that at mass and that that has increased my full conscious and active participation at mass is the discovery of a podcast called the liturgy guys. Mm -hmm. And I, I highly recommend to all of your listeners that that is the one podcast you need to keep up to date on each and every week, mm. because through listening to that podcast, right, you will literally have one foot on earth and one foot in heaven at each and every mass. Do, right? Is this one of those? Sometimes you might even realize it as I have once or twice yeah is this one of those podcasts yeah. which you you can just come in and just carry on or would you recommend going to the first episode and working your way forward uh you can come in at anywhere yeah all right so that a lot of them are standalones i mean they do spend i think it's 10 weeks going through sacrosanctum concilium at one point oh, sick. but there's lots of standalone episodes you can jump in at, at any episode but each and every episode is just filled with gold and it is it has helped my my spiritual life my prayer life and even my sufferings just by listening to that podcast oh, that's beautiful that really is um yeah i, I think i think podcasts typically generally i tried uh i do exodus 90 every year for lent uh and one of those things is giving up things um that aren't of god necessarily so one of the things is get rid of music unless it's lifting up your soul to god and so mm -hmm. I, I kind of stopped listening to podcasts during that period just to because i was unsure if it counted but then um yeah well, it was funny uh one day during that last evening and uh, last um exodus 90 they ah. uh my daughter grabbed my phone and she was only a few months old at this point and uh she somehow started a podcast and it was bishop Barron. And I was kind of like, oh, okay. And I started listening to it. And all of a sudden I was like, I was eating up everything. And it's like, this is, yeah. this is everything I need right now. So I think, yeah, podcasts have become an, an essential in my spiritual journey. Um, yeah. But yeah. So bringing it back to like, we were talking about like tools you use to combat yeah. vice. It's the prayer is the, the start. And there is that yeah. hierarchy of prayer of that liturgy which leads yep. what was the second one um so liturgy then lexio, lexio then devotion and, and then just yeah extemporary yep. prayer and but then on it, top of that it, it's the you, you can go deeper into that prayer so like you can do those yes. prayers without thinking about them. that's one of the things i love about the the liturgy of the hours especially morning prayer often mm -hmm. i don't have the extemporary prayers to get out my mouth i can't f form a sentence that's, so i just right. open yep. the book or the app and it's just like just read this <laughs> you know then you're in praying the words you're praying the words of god and, and when you're praying the psalms too you're praying the same words that jesus christ himself oh, prayed boom. on earth yeah oh, phenomenal. <laughs> how awesome is that yeah it doesn't get much <laughs> yeah. better eh yeah. and so yeah it's got but that. of course um prayer alone won't help you beat vice. Yeah, so we yeah. so that's a starting point. It's, it's really good. To, right. it's, it's a place where you don't need to think about it. You know, you, you don't even need to buy a book with you know Universalis yep. and various other apps nowadays. Right. That's right. Um, so you can just you can just start doing that every morning and not even think about it, and you're on the way because it's objectively yep. working on you. And then yep. you can start involving scripture into your life. You can maybe pick up a rosary or ver there's so many mm -hmm. devotions out there. I mean, just yep. Google devotions. There's um, 
a group uh called Premo Novenas. Yes. Um, my yeah. wife's really into those. Uh and again, really simple. It's like this is what you do every day and it's got nine days set out for you. Um one of the beauties of the church, there's there's so many things to choose from that there's something for everyone. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. that leads I guess once you've done those three things when it comes to praying out loud for yourself, you know, like, as you said, you've got the words and not only That's do you right. have the words, but they, they've kind of been divinized almost yeah. through the other yeah. prayers. But on top yes. of all that, it's like once you, I guess the starting point is just starting, getting one of those yeah. books or apps and starting. Yeah. And uh, then once you've gotten that, it's you need to you need to feed it. You need to put fuel on the That's fire right. in ways That's of right. teachings and podcasts and That's theology right. and Yes, Saluda Montford. You've mentioned like several books already, eh? Yes, <laughs> yeah. Because of course, when it um, when it comes to overcoming vice, when it comes to beating evil in your life and habitual sin, um, <clears throat> prayer alone isn't going to help. Because mm. we were talking before about the intellect and the will. Okay, mm. I will my own decisions, so I make my I, I I will them. But it's my my intellect, right? My knowledge that informs my will. And so what you've got to do is you've got to get knowledgeable, all right, of the vice. Mm. So you've actually got to do study. So yeah. now you've got to go and you've got to, you've got to work out what the, you know, identify the evil in your life, name it. You've got to find out about it, okay? Yeah. But you can't stop there because if, um, if I'm trying to beat masturbation, for instance, and all I'm doing is I'm thinking, I must not do that. I must not do that. What am I doing? I'm thinking about the thing yeah. constantly that I'm not supposed to be doing, right? So the church's no is never a, just a standalone, don't do that, all right? Because we were talking about before that these are lesser goods and God is calling us to choose the higher goods. So we've got to find out what those higher goods are and they're called virtue. Mm. So the more we learn about virtue, now we've actually got the thing that we can practice, right, that avoids the vice. And we can start learning those, those habits of true disciples of Jesus Christ mm. that we can put into our lives. Um, can, can we talk about the M word for a minute? And I'll, I'll, I'll share some of the tools that I've used to, to deal with that particular vice. Yeah, sure, if you would like yeah. to. So um, because... You know, I have, you know, I, my first addiction was masturbation mm -hmm. at 13. Mm -hmm. Okay. As a pain sufferer, I would often use masturbation to help me fall asleep okay. because the release of endorphins in the brain uh, helped me with pain. Obviously, I was a sex and porno pornography addict. It wasn't until I came home to the Catholic Church that I was able to start beating the, the pornography addiction, but it's been a long, slow battle. Um and as I started to get some victories in it, right, I went into this period where every night when I went to bed, I would get bombarded with sexual images. Mm. Right? So the angels have access to our imaginations and our memories, right? and they can put images in there. And, and this is true of the bad angels as well. Mm. God can give the good angels extra knowledge, like they, he could give potentially give them access to our inner thoughts if they needed them. But our inner thoughts, what we're, we're truly thinking is for us alone. The angels don't have that, right? They don't have access to that. That's for us and God, right? So I would go to sleep at night and these images would start hitting my imagination. So clearly coming from the enemy. 
And so every night when I went to sleep, because of this habit that I'd gotten into, where every night I would masturbate for pain relief, now I'm getting bombarded with these images, trying to tempt me in my pain and my exhaustion, mm. right, to do that again, start that up again, right? That'll help you get to sleep because I struggle with sleep. I also have sleep apnea oh, and it's been a long and difficult road to deal with that. The, the gold standard treatment doesn't work on me. And so this was happening night after night and I was exhausted. I was absolutely destroyed until one evening I remembered or realized through an image, must have been from the good side, that I had an audio Bible on my phone. And that audio Bible with the app that it's in had a sleep timer. And so I opened it up and I put the Bible on, the audio Bible, and I put it on an hour thinking it'll take me an hour to get to sleep. And I turned the volume down so it wouldn't disturb my wife and I put it beside my bed and I just lay in bed and I started listening to the word of God dramatized on this audio Bible. And then every time I started getting bombarded with an image and started getting frustrated with that, I was able to concentrate on my hearing, concentrate on the ear, right? Turn my thoughts back to God. And so I was replacing these, these thoughts, these images with something that was wholesome and good. Oh, and, and that has been an extremely effective method for, for use for getting to sleep if I have a night where I'm getting bothered with, uh, with temptation. Mm. And so it was through that practice that, uh, that then I was able to also um, introduce that into uh, my shower routine because, you know, the shower, let's face it, boys, is a bit of a danger area for us. We're naked and we're warm, okay? <laughs> and the devil the, the devil knows this and the demons know this. It's, it's incredible how often these images will be placed in your imagination when you're mm. naked and in the shower. And so I realized that through I needed to willfully replace these images. I, I choose what I want to think about. I don't have to give in to these images. I can deliberately go somewhere else for the goodness of God. And so guess what? I needed to start praying before going in the shower. I sometimes even needed to just pray while I was in the shower. So I'm just automatically washing as quickly as I can to get out of there. I might just have to pray or I might have to think about what I need to do for the Catholic apostolate that I work for, mm. or something along those lines. And this is uh, recently um, I've kind of uh, realised that there's another level to this as well. And I've started pinning on Pinterest um, Catholic art. And I've started looking at beautiful, wholesome images, mm. holy images, so that when I am tempted with these other images that are from my past, I've got a whole bank of good stuff that I can draw on and can deliberately go, no, I'm going to think of an image of St. Michael the Archangel that I particularly like. Mm. Oh, Look at that sword that he's holding, that spear that he's driving. Oh, where's he driving that? Yeah, in you, buddy. Get out. Mm, I see. I can't recommend this method enough, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Gaining control of our will. But again, right, we need to inform the intellect. So study is all important as part of um, meeting vice, finding out about virtue. And I tell you a great podcast for learning about virtue firstly you've got pints with aquinas with matt frad and, and he'll often do sub um subjects on virtue and and he's talking st thomas aquinas so mm. you know you can't 
strong. Uh, but the other one is two young guys in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, who started their own radio station. And they realized they needed some original con uh, content. And they started this podcast called The Catholic Man Show. And they talk about virtue all the time. Mm. And they are a great couple of guys on fire. The Catholic Answers guys have been on there. They're getting some really good guests. And they've just got this wonderful format, you know. Uh, for those of you who can drink, you'll enjoy the first segment because they always sample a manly beverage. <laughs> right? And then the second segment, they talk about some essential man gear. And then the third segment, they talk about the topic. It's a really fun podcast and I highly recommend it. And you're also learning about virtue, which is awesome. The Catholic Man Show. The Catholic Man Show, yes. I'm looking that up now. Yes, um, we'll, we'll enjoy it immensely, I promise. That's really cool. Um yeah, so um, it's interesting you mentioned uh, to um, Matt Frad because uh, I've recently been going through Strive 21, which is a oh, program excellent. he puts on for yep. uh, battling porn addiction and such like. And yep. it's, I mean, just, it's like, I think because, you know, my own journey with, you know, like porn addiction and masturbation has been more, mm. you know, I've been, I've been battling it for a while. So a lot of things he's... Yep talking about i've kind of dealt with but i haven't had the i haven't had what he offers you know and he just yeah. gives so much more and it's about that that uh holistic approach to your whole yes. life and um yeah. yeah i can't recommend it enough because it's free as well uh strive mm -hmm. 21 um yeah. that's really really cool and uh, so i guess you know when we're battling virtue i from what i've learned when we're battling vice sorry when we're trying to live yeah. virtue we're chasing about, yeah. We're um it's about starting, you know, way before it's even happened. You know, it's yeah. you know, obviously you need those tools and like that, you know, audio yeah. bible sounds really cool for when you're in yes. that those weakest moments, but yeah. um I've noticed for me that if I don't wake up and wake up at six o'clock, do a workout and uh prayer, yeah. my day's wasted, you know. Um <laughs> And it's and, you know it takes a lot to wake up at six o'clock in the morning. Well, it doesn't. I've got a screaming child, but um, <laughs> it, it, well, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so it does take you a lot to get up yeah, at six yeah. in the morning. Um, <laughs> but like you know, maintaining that and realizing, yes. you know, again, the incarnation of Christ, the objective reality that Catholicism teaches, is yeah. objective, and yes. therefore my life, my whole life, needs to be built around it. Um, that's right. One of my favorite lines uh, from Bishop Barron, uh, which is in his book, uh, Catholicism, A Journey to Faith, is um, yep. the whole of Catholicism, I'm paraphrasing now, is built around this one element, which is a keenness to prolong the incarnation. And I've mm. written a whole talk based on that one line because, I mean, mm. you can just pull it apart. It's fantastic. Yes. And so yes. I guess when we're battling vice, we need to keep that in mind yeah. so that we can be informed on what decisions to make. And then yeah. we need to inform ourselves on how to improve those decisions. And we need knowledge right. of the faith, but we we also need knowledge of ourselves, of yeah. where, where we fall down and where we pick up. And that's right. And I think that that, right. that hierarchy of prayer has been really good uh, stuff that you've just been telling us about. I yeah. think it's a, I think you know, it's definitely going to help me a lot more in my, in my faith journey. Um, Excellent. Yeah. I'm very glad. 
But yeah, it looks like we've been going on for an hour and a half now. Um, it's flown by, hasn't it? Yeah. Well, you know, when you when you we get stuck into a topic, for another hour and a half. yeah. When you get stuck into a topic, you just keep going. Yeah, and definitely. Going. Um, so I think we'll leave it there for tonight. So no uh, thank you very much, Matthew, for getting involved with us. I'm sure we'll do more with you in the future, and all the best Anytime. to you with Cruzier. For those of you listening uh, that have enjoyed this and you want to hear more stuff, again, go to uh, Perusia On Demand. We have a whole catalogue of talks from the In His Name conference. The first part to this talk of, from Matthew uh, is on there. Um, amongst other things, we've got Chris West, um, Chris Stefanik, all the Chris's, and many more. So go check that out. Also, if you enjoy the work that we're doing, like, share, and subscribe. Uh, Curiously Catholic on most podcast apps, evangelion.co.nz, and obviously this Facebook page. And also, um, if you want to get behind the mission of Evangelion, check out our uh, webpage, evangelion.co.nz, and you know, do donate, get involved, and help us to uh, bring high-quality speakers out to New Zealand to help evangelize this great nation. So thank you very much for uh, listening. Thank you very much, Matthew, for joining us. And God bless you. you all, everyone. Thank you. God bless.